Welcome to Substance Free 02043, brought to you by Hingham Cares. I'm your host, Kristen Root, and I am Program Director of Hingham Cares. Our mission is to reduce substance use among youth in our community. We want our kids to make healthy choices around drugs and alcohol, so we provide information to teens, parents, and the community at large about the risks associated with teen substance use. On the show with us today is comedian actor Steve Sweeney, who has been assigned the title of the undisputed king of Boston comedy. Steve grew up in Charlestown. He earned a BA in theater arts from UMass Boston and a MFA from the University of Southern California. So we're delighted to have you here. You should be. <laughs> God, you are I living am. up to your title of the undisputed yeah, king of Boston comedy. This is, this is the height of the career, being in an industrial park here in Hingham and Weymouth. And... Was there was there any discussion about the term king, undisputed king oh, of comedy? Were you please. emperor? You know, it's was like that when people out? introduce me as a legend. Here he is, legendary comedian, and I say, I'm a, I'm not dead. <laughs> you know, I had a guy come up to me on uh, Boylston Street in Boston, swear to God, he says, Steve Sweeney, I saw you do comedy 30 years ago at Nick's. Do you remember me? Oh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> That's all I've thought about. Now I can go on with my life. Do you mind if I give you a hug? <laughs> so, yeah, I started as an actor, and I fell into comedy, and this connects to substance abuse, actually. Mm-hmm. So I should say right off, I'm, I'm so clean and sober 30 years. But yes, I, and I work in the field. I work in jails. I did a program for kids. But anyway, when I was an actor, a stage actor, I mean, I've done a lot of films. I've done almost 30. I just did a fantastic movie. It's called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. It's about a neighborhood in Manhattan that keeps losing people. Have you seen it by any chance? Any of you, you should see it. Russell Crowe, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. A guy goes over to visit his friends. It's about war and about learning about it. Anyway, so when you do stage work, you have to learn your lines. It's a very disciplined craft, and I was okay. And uh, then when I started doing stand-up, which I fell into, of course, there weren't even any comedy clubs. It takes place in bars and restaurants. So then I was around booths, and it's kind of a long story there. But when when I talk to kids, like, what I've found is kids uh, or young people that have a goal... Okay, they're less susceptible to peer pressure. You know what I mean? So, you know, we went in and we did role plays, refusal skills, and goal setting, very important. When you say you went in, where did you go? Well, we went everywhere. I had a program, it's called Speakers for Hope, which I partnered with the Gavin Foundation. So we went into Dorchester High School. I went into boys' clubs and girls' clubs. I went into all Charlestown High, where I graduated from, and... uh, we never, well, Plymouth, I mean, I, I was all over the state. But when you find out what you're passionate about at that age, it gives you something that you can get high off. Because we all want to get high, you know. Um, but like for me, it was acting. As soon as I got on stage and I felt that rush, it got me that feeling that drugs were supposed to give you. So when did you substitute that feeling for? Drugs. Well, you know what it was? It was more like I would use enhance it. You know, I was, I come from, you know, alcoholism is in my family. So it's, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a strange kind of phenomenon that you can't explain unless you are one. You know, it's, it's the kind of thing where you drink, 
to change how you feel. You don't drink to be social. It, and it, it starts to have a life of its own, and, and you realize you can't stop. It it's, becomes it's, an obsession, almost. Well, what we say is it's an obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. In other words, the obsession is thinking about it, but the compulsion is once you start... So did you did you use substances when you were younger? Or no, did it start? I was I was. I'll tell you what happened though. I I experimented when I was a kid. You know what I always say is, if I was growing up now in Charlestown, I would be doing all of these horrible drugs that are out there, the opiates, because we just did whatever was in front of us. Mm. You know. So I did LSD, and oh my God. I experimented, experimented, but, experimented, but okay. when I was 19, I became an actor, and I was very disciplined. My work was my drug, and it's, an, it's a consuming thing to learn a part. You learn the part, you learn the lines, you go to rehearsal, you, you try to physicalize it. You know, in my comedy, my heroes were like Lily Tomlin and Gilda Radner and Jonathan Winters, Peter Sellers as an actor, so I, I do character work, so I would become these guys, and that's, I still do that. I do Fauci. We weren't ready at that particular time for that particular. <laughs> anyway, um, then I got involved in stand-up, and we were working at a place in Cambridge called the Ding Ho Restaurant. It was a Chinese restaurant, and then, then it started. You know, the my ties, and there was an actual drink called the Suffering Bastard. I mean, mm -hmm. how's that for a prelude to addiction? So. It was the 80s, and cocaine was not supposed to be addictive, you know. I really did hear that, that cocaine was not addictive. I think they say that about every new substance, or every... Well, when, I was, at Z, when I was at ZLX, I had a kid who was interning, and he was doing ecstasy, right? And it was, it was really... He was the nicest kid, too, and I, he said, and I'll go to a club, and all I need is water, and... I start to feel my body and I dance, you know, and I have this connection. I said, wow, so there's absolutely no downside to this. He said, no. I said, well, when was the last time you slept, by the way? It was <laughs> three days ago, right? And he got arrested. The, the Patriots won the uh, Super Bowl. He got arrested running through the fence um, naked. Anyway, so... Um, Every generation has the misinformation. So my addiction uh, got worse and worse, and it was a feeling that I can't describe except that I became, there's no such word, but I came deader inside. I just drained, drained, drained. And you know, when you're talking to kids, which I still do, they always think there's this moment, well, what made you stop? And for me, it wasn't this dramatic moment. It was. What we say in the program is, I get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. Now, the other thing I say to kids, and I hope some of them are listening, is I was at the uh, comic strip in New York, and everybody was doing coke. And I remember really clearly that Eddie Murphy turned it down. He understood it's a business, and it's a craft, and it's something you have to focus on in order to get better at it. And his career just went through the roof. Mm -hmm. You know, now I had a lot of success. I did HBO Young Comedians. Then I got a call to do the Letterman show and all this. I just really remember that. You know, I remember it, 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 it's like I work at Plymouth House of Corrections, you know, and a lot of the guys there, 
they want to do what they do. And I say to them, look, you're all addicted to something. You know, it's like, no, not me, you know. I said, okay, the fast money, right? So, you know, they sell drugs. Some of them do drugs, guns, all kinds of stuff. But in the same time, what I've heard over the years, it's been 10 years for me working in jails now, at Dedham, Springfield, Plymouth as well. I, the thing I really want to do is be a good father, right? Mm -hmm. So they don't see any contradiction, you know? Oh, that's so, what you've heard them say. Yeah. I just want to be a good father. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to be a good father, but they want to make money quick. Right. You know, it's called fast money. So what I say to them is you got to go to Home Depot. You got to work 40 hours and you got to look at your check like everybody else and say, I can't believe this is so small. You know, that's called nine to five, but you can sleep at night. But I've learned so much from the job. Well, you've touched on two things that we talk about with Hingham Cares yeah. with regard to prevention. Two mitigating factors are accessibility and modeling. So you mentioned that if you had grown up in Charlestown now, you'd be doing some yes. of the drugs that are available now because they'd be accessible. And then you also just said that you want these adults to be modeling good behavior for their kids, regardless of whether it's well, substances you know, I, or you know, something I, else. One place I used to work go when I had my kids' programs a lot was Situate High School. Mm -hmm. And Situate had a big drug problem. So the first thing you have to do is you have to break the denial. You, have to, you can't deal with something unless you admit it exists. With all its faults, when I came home, there were people at home. So after school, if a kid doesn't have somebody at home, sometimes there's a lot of stuff, you know. And they always say there's nothing to do. That's one thing kids always say, there's nothing to do. And it's very important to learn how to do nothing. It's important to take a walk in the woods. It's important to... This is what I used to tell them. You rent a kayak down the Norwell River. You play basketball. You do things. Mm -hmm. And then it's the adult's job to provide those things to do. Right. There's a lot of stuff. You know, the, the main thing when I was talking to kids is like you walk in, I'd be walking into Dort High, you know, these places, oh, what's this old white guy going to tell us, right? So then I say, well, I did a movie with Denzel Washington called The Equalizer. And I said, oh, <laughs> all of a sudden I got a little bit of cred. But so my program, what we did was we had kids talk to other kids. And I had a girl from Charlestown. She was a hockey player. She was up for the Olympics, and she started robbing banks. Do you believe that? Young girl. Mm -hmm. She did time. Then I had another girl from Charlestown, you know, and kids listen to other kids. And, and was that substance-related? Yeah. That, that's what the whole program was. Are you listening, Kristen? <laughs> What I mean, I the, crimi the criminal behavior, <laughs> I'm paying attention. <laughs> yes. It, it's really not just about the kids. It, it's about the community and it's about the parents. And you can't baby them either. The kids got to want it. I, I can't tell you, Kristen, how many guys, kids I had in jail. You know, that's what's happened. You mean like a generational well, thing was happening? Yeah, friends of mine's sons were in jail. Oh, okay. You I know. thought you meant people that you had worked with 30 years ago. Now Tristan, all of a sudden they're kids. Have some are... coffee. Pay attention. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is this ADD show? <laughs> oh, my God. Duly diagnosed here. So I have heard you say that you don't like downtime. You don't like to sit still. Um, I never said that. Well, you've been fidgeting this whole time. So I think... You're I didn't come to Hingham to be attacked for my fidgeting. 
No. Uh, but so, but there are no, lots of other things that you No, I did not say that I don't like downtime. What you, I said you told was, Joe Rogan what, what, something what, to that effect. What what I said was the kids, which is why we're doing this. A lot of them say there's nothing to do. Uh, it it is a uh, a challenge sometimes for people to relax and just be in the moment. But when you're 17 years old, you know you want to do stuff. But you you said something to the effect of you started doing this kind of work to fill this extra time that yes, you had. Yes, yeah. Well, it, it, not just the time, but to balance my life. Because when, you, when you're when you an actor or a comedian, you're so freaking self-centered. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable, you know? Right. I'm not much, but it's all I think about, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like um, Marlon Brando said this about an actor. He said, an actor is a guy who's waiting for you to finish so he can talk about himself again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, it's good for me. It gets me out of my head. I used to teach college. I taught at Suffolk. I taught at UMass. I taught, I have a master's in screenwriting, and I, I like teaching. It gets me out of myself. I used to teach the first grade, believe it or not, in no Los Angeles. Oh, my goodness. What a frightening thought. I can see the terror on her face. <laughs> Where are those children, children now? It's a hard job, first grade. It's very exhausting. I was doing it while I was going to grad school. Mm -hmm. I love recovery, by the way. I you're clearly passionate about. Yeah, it. I am. So yeah. What kind, what kind of programs do you implement with the prisoners that you? Well, work the with? first the first thing is, as you pointed out, I'm a fidgeter. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is my resentment. I have to go to a meeting later. <laughs> I have to pray for Christmas. Is my name going to be mentioned? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so you have to learn how to sit still. So I meditate and I breathe. And the future is anxiety, the past is depression. So we begin with a 10-minute meditation that's just breathing deep. I go on retreats. I, I do that. I read Buddhist stuff. And so I've, that's the first thing I do in the class. And then we talk about goals. We talk about issues and goals. We work from a book. Deep breathing. I used to get what's called anxiety attacks. Now, what that happens, what happens with that is you actually feel like you're having a heart attack. And I would go to the emergency room. It turned out I was fine. My heart was great. You know, I walk, I run every day. So I learned this thing called box breathing. Breathe in four, hold it for four, you let it out for four. And everything I learn, I try to pass on to my inmates. Do you so, ever hear from them after they've... You know, I see them at meetings, and oh. uh, I've, I've had a lot of really interesting experiences. I had one guy who was doing my one-man show at the Cabot Theater in uh, Beverly, and I'm on my way. He had gotten out that day, and he was going to see my show. No kidding. It was nice. Wow. Here's what I tell inmates when they're leaving. Go to meetings. Don't rob my house, because then I'll get a resentment. <laughs> And take a walk in the woods. It's very healing when you've been behind bars and concrete. And just go out in nature. I mean, uh, Hingham is so beautiful. I mean, we go to Wampatock State Park all mm -hmm. the time. We, I, when I say we, I'm talking about my dogs like they're human beings. Because, <laughs> you know, I still have issues. I'm sober, but I'm still... <laughs> um, we go to Wampatock and Bears Cove. I used to do... Uh, show every year at the Loring Theater. Will McDonough was a friend of mine for the Ingham, Hingham Sports Partnership. Mm -hmm. Sports is big, interests. But I guess you have to be honest 
with kids. I mean, if you're smoking grass as a parent, I guess you have to talk. You got to be open about it. Right. I don't know. And model that positive behavior, because as you know, the young brain, the brain is not fully developed until no. the age of 24, Grass is 25. a terrible thing, man, as far as emotional development, as far as impulse, mm -hmm. you know, uh, reflexes when you're doing sports. And modern day marijuana is so much more potent than it was 10, 20 years ago. You know, I'll tell you about the audiences that I have. Like, I'm clean, but that doesn't mean they're clean. Right. And the grass audiences, they get the joke on the way home. Mm. <laughs> they're a little slow. Or if they're laughing, they aren't laughing at you. They're laughing at their shoes or the color blue or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it's very important that people learn from other people's mistakes. And, you know, I'm 73 years old and I lost my 30s. I can't remember one day of them. So I'm just, you know, whatever. If anybody's listening to me on this show is just. If you feel like you have an addiction, if you feel that compulsion, if you feel that impulse, if you feel like you can't stop, get help as soon as you can, because you don't want to throw your life away. Right. Yeah. By the same token, you talk about people needing to be ready yeah, to change. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. It's like with my inmates, sometimes I want it more than they want it. Right. You know, but you just hope if somebody's got one foot in and one foot out, that, you know, maybe they will take that one step towards getting into recovery. Right. Don't, you don't have to start. That's another myth, you know, that's out there with young people. It's like, well, you got to try. You know, you don't have to start. And then the other myth is everybody's doing it. Not everybody is doing right. it. There's a lot of th things people think that aren't true. Especially teenagers. You know, yeah. we see by the numbers that... A lot of kids aren't using substances. Yeah, that's wonderful. Right. And, you know, but at the same time, the kids who aren't are thinking that they're somehow being left out. They're somehow not doing what typical teenagers do. Um, Isn't so it amazing might, that it people still use the word cool? <laughs> I mean, they, Frank Sinatra was using that in the 40s. Right. You know, it's like, what's cool? Right. Um, but sometimes, you know, one of the, one of the main things is, is that your peers, you know, who do you hang with, mm -hmm. you know, and get people that are interested in what you're doing. Like when I got, when I got into theater, when I was in college, boy, I was, that was me. Wow. I loved it. And you find other people that love to do it. And you went to UMass Boston. Went to UMass Boston. Then I went to USC for graduate work. And then I came back to UMass to get a master's in counseling. So oh, then I wonder why I haven't had a successful relationship because I'm an achiever. <laughs> <laughs> I belong in Hingham for crying out loud. Don't throw me out, by the way, when you see me here. <laughs> so you did receive some training. One of the questions that I had for you, we were talking about this earlier off camera, is that you have gotten... Um, a degree in counseling. You've received training. I did training. my internship at Mount Auburn Hospital. They had a recovery place. And then I went to the Shelter for Homeless Veterans. It's wonderful work, actually. But I don't do it in the summer. Mm -hmm. Enough with the jails in the summer. Every summer I go to national parks. Last summer I did a two-week hiking tour in Alaska. Nice. In May, I'm going to do a uh, hiking tour and. Never been to Big Sur in California, so there's a hiking tour from Santa Cruz to Monterey. And the whole world opens up when you're not using, and you know, life is exciting. 
You said in an interview that you feel well rested. Oh my God! In recovery. When, when when I went into High Point, uh, you know, you you gather around in a in a group and you say, "Well, what do you want?" And guys want their family back. Somebody wants their job, whatever. And I said, I just want to be able to rest. I was so exhausted. It's like a full-time job, drinking and drugging, you mm. know? And then I was six months sober, and I woke up one day, and I said, wow, what is this feeling? And it was, I was well-rested, you know? How long had you been using at that point? Oh, Jesus. 30 years. I drank for 30 years, and I drank and did coke for 20. So I was tired. It's exhausting, so you, and, and it's a waste of time. Right. It robs you of so much. Yeah. But you didn't have an aha moment. You just kind of got to the point where that fatigue and that lifestyle caught up with you. I'm having an aha moment now with you, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, <laughs> there were a lot of what we call jackpots. A lot of bad things happened. You know, it's funny. People have regrets, and some people don't have regrets, whatever. Um, we say in the program is I won't regret the past, but there was so many things that I did that I would never do when I was sober and clean. And one of the biggest struggles is to forgive myself. Mm. You know, it's funny that people like how we all are, like Matthew Perry's got a book out right? from Friends. I don't know whether you've heard of it. It's like it's amazing that, you know, you can have the outside stuff and he was killing himself, you know? Right. Isn't that something? Right. So, well, I think that's part of the craft is that you're, you're faking a lot of things. And so you can, you can even fake living a sober life. Well, I, I think, I think, you know, it's funny when I started my journey, I thought it was, you know, we were kind of unique people that worked in bars and everything. And then I hear, well, I'm an iron worker naturally, you know, well, I'm a lawyers have a big alcoholism, right? You know, it's, it's something that goes way beyond what you do for a living. If you had a piece of advice, just yes. one singular piece of advice yeah. for kids, not right. just in Hingham, but kids all over the world, what would you say with regard to substance use? Look inside of yourself. Meditation is a good way to do that. Find that place in yourself of human potential. Now, not everybody's going to be an actor. Not everybody's going to be a teacher. But there is something that you have inside of yourself that is meant to develop. And if you can focus on that, find out what you really like to do. That passion can get you through these years, like 16 to 21 or something. What do you really love to do? And find out what that is, then invest in that. And we, whether we want to be or not, this is second part of the advice, we are influenced by who we hang with. Right. And say to yourself, and I know it's hard when you're 17, like what, where, where are these guys gonna be in five years? And where are these guys gonna be? You know, and where do I want to be? And one of the things I had to do when I got sober is I had to change my friend. I, did, I had to, like, not hang with my friends for a year. You mm. know, it's just, it was just such a powerful thing. Because your world gets smaller and smaller when you're drinking and drugging, you know? So find out what you love to do. Hang with the right kids. And if you think you have a problem, go to the guidance counselor. 
there are there are this like Alcatine and there's all kinds of other young people that have addictive personalities. I have an addictive personality. You know, my two best friends are Ben and Jerry. You know, <laughs> I, 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 this isn't over for me. Believe me, I act out with ice cream and all kinds of stuff. You, if I was talking to a young person, you are the gift to this world right now because I don't want to say we've screwed it up, but there's a lot of stuff we, we are leaving you that's not so great. So one of the things I'm encouraged by is, and like my father's generation, there was a stigma attached to alcoholism and addiction. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm encouraged with is as strong as the uh, epidemic of addiction is, sort of like the environment is as strong as like, you know, environmental damages, the environmental movement is very strong. And I feel like the recovery movement is very strong. And also, um, if you're an adult, wow, you've got to learn how to listen. And you know what? We can talk about all this all, all day too, but the, the villains in the back here are all these drug companies that are making money off all this. It's a big problem. It's not just some simple answer, but right. if I was just talking to a kid, you know, that's what I'd say. Find out what you love. I love that. That's a great piece of advice. Yeah. What would you what would you say to parents? Parents, go ahead. Yeah. What would you what would you say to parents? What advice would you have for parents in raising kids around substances? Don't move to Cohasset. Stay in Ham. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very unequipped to talk to parents about their kids. I really do. But the more you know, the more you can pass on. Mm -hmm. And I think. It's like you said, wow, people, people don't watch what you say. They watch what you do. Right. So if you're getting drunk around your kids and whatever. Well, that's really poignant because we, we always say no parent wants to place their child in harm's way. No parent wants to model bad behavior for their kids. Yeah. But there's a, a lot of misinformation and there's a lack of education. So I, I think you're spot on when you say that parents need to get educated so that they can make better decisions about themselves. You know what you got to do? And also have conversations my, with my their kids. My brother is like the greatest father in the world. He's got three kids. And he said something that's really... You have to think about it, you know? And my brother was very successful. He was a lawyer and all this. He said, I don't believe in quality time. I believe in quantity time. I said, wow. Hmm. You've got to actually spend time. Hang. You know, that's what develops the trust. Be present. Be present a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, go to the games, all that, and just hang. Right. You can't come in, you know, spend an hour a week with them. Now I'm going to tell you about drug abuse, you know? <laughs> I thought, I it's thought that was It's disingenuous, too. I think that's a little disingenuous. Sure it is. I wish if I knew what that word meant, I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> disingenuous. Okay. So, it- listen, we're all in the same boat. <clears throat> yes. I mean, whether you're a parent, whether you're a kid, whether you're just an interested person, it's a problem that we all have to address, right? Absolutely. It's a community Mm. effort, for sure. Yeah, and don't stop doing it just because you're over the Weymouth line. Oh, (laughs) I'm at the land and I can't can't think about this anymore. (laughs) Or Norwell, Jesus. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much. This is really great. I'm I, glad you're doing this work. This is God's work. It's important. And, you know, you just do what you can. And the best way to develop trust, whether you're a parent or anybody else, is to talk about yourself. Focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had a struggle with this. I worry about you, whatever. You talk about your own feelings with a kid and then you develop an alliance. You right. know, and the, you're both on the same team. And when they screw up, you just say, okay, let's pick up from here. Well, if you're honest with your kids, then your kids feel comfortable being honest with you right. in return. Yeah, and they may not have the language that you have, the skill set. How's that, Miss Disingenuous? <laughs> That's not bad for a dummy, huh? <laughs> Thank you. This was great. Thank you so much Keep for your time. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I would like to thank Steve Sweeney for joining us today and for participating in this really thoughtful conversation. You've been listening to Substance Free 02043, brought to you by Hingham Cares. I'm your host, Kristen Arut, and I hope you will join us again. For more info or to get involved, go to hinghamcares.org.